0: and welcome to the 75th episode of The Sausage Factory which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote which in this case is First Wonder by Rogue Rocket Games. Gentlemen,
1: please. Who are you, and what do you do? Hi, my name's Nick Brutti. I'm one of the co-founders here at Rogue Rocket Games, and I focus on the design and art. Hello, I'm Rich Sun. I'm
2: the other co-founder of Rogue Rogue Rocket Games, Uh, and my background is mostly in programming and team leadership, Uh, although I also do a lot of boring crap like (laughs) finances and... H R. <laughs> yeah,
1: small team. We do everything with many hats.
0: I do. I do get that from indie developers. I ask them the question, "What do you do?" And there's a pause, and then eventually they go, "Everything." What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <What is> it? <laughs> yeah. It's uh, when, when, when one uh, one developer. Is, he was the uh, lead musician and
1: also the business
0: manager. Right? Right.
1: Yeah. Hey? We, we we tend to split up our projects depending on where we are at the time. So there are certain things that we work on, like when we're on the train going to going to work. You know, Rich does whole projects just on trains. It's <laughs> true. But then we switch gears when we get here, and then, uh, but it keeps it kind of fun and exciting, and and you keep very connected to everything that way. So it's kind of good. It's That's crazy. Way.
0: Connections, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, cool. Okay, uh, for me, I, I play a lot of um, mobile games on my on, on my train journeys, i found. It's either DS, I'm playing, you know, ZenoGames or something, or or I'm playing, you know, Alto's Adventure on my phone. So I can't stop playing, I don't, I don't know why. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. How did you, Nick, i ask you, and then talk to Rich, how did you make your start making games? I know this might be a bit of a long answer, but you can try and condense it, because you've been around for a while, haven't you, sir?
1: I, I certainly have yeah I started sort of in the mid 80s um, on the spectrum and uh, I was just sort of so self taught um, and uh, a friend of mine we're both still at high school at the time uh, and both interested in games there weren't very really many game companies around then and we were only like 15 and, and he decided he would like try an interview for a programming position and he went and bought a book and copied some routines out of it <laughs> and to uh, to my amazement he got the job and I'm like Wow, how did you do that? And he goes, never mind. They want someone to help with some art, and uh, they liked the the work I did for his demo. So then I just went down and uh, I turned up at this company called Softstone, and it was really weird. Uh, I just sort of turned up and started showing some stuff. They liked it, and I just I started working there before they actually started paying me. Then after a while, they started using my art in their games, and then they they said, well, I guess I guess we should pay you something at this point. And then I, I eventually was taken onto the team. So very, very different times back then. <laughs> I don't yeah. think anyone quite knew what they were doing. So I kind of like fell into it um, and then sort of grew up with the industry along the way. So I've been here through the 8-bit, the 16-bits. I've worked on consoles and PCs and Amigas and um, and now back, back onto PC, actually, which is kind of nice.
0: It's quite liberating. It's amazing how that machine has stood the test of time
1: yeah because it was written off a, a few years ago, and now it's uh, back stronger than ever, which is I awesome.
0: I remember in the 2000s early 2000s when the PS2 came out, and everyone was very excited and uh, everyone was going, oh that's it I said the end of PC games, like have you did you and then you know what sort of I don't know, 18 years later maybe a little earlier, there was this, this sense of, well what about half-life? Oh yeah there's that. what about Borders Gate? Oh oh yeah, there's that it won't die. I don't think it ever will. It can't. It can't. It's it's by its default. It's an unstoppable machine beast thing that it's risen, and uh, that's fine. And um, just as an aside, Nick, before going to Rich, what do you make of the the fascination with retro machines that exist to this day? Mm
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, I really haven't... It's funny. I've obviously got fond memories of the machines and many of the games I worked on, but I'm always consumed by the very thing I'm working on. But I've noticed that in the past, like, uh, especially the past year, I've been contacted for so many retro interviews about past games. And and the trouble is, you know, some of these, like Trantor the Last Stormtrooper, I did... I know, 25 years ago or something, yeah. I can't remember, and they asked me such deep questions about it, and I just can't remember half this stuff,
0: you know. No,
1: it's just like, I was like, in a drunken game. Do you, yeah. you know, because uh, at the time, it's like one of many games that you're working on, and uh so even more recent ones, yeah, you know, I, I sort of sh- struggle with time passes, <laughs> but it's actually so fun, because I've had uh, some people send me some articles now where they've, uh, they put those memories together and found other members of the team, and and it sort of creates a bit of history for me now. So I I've got a, a reference to now I don't I don't have to remember it anymore. No, <laughs> I just, really I just down to, uh, for someone. So uh, so I'm I'm glad for it. Uh, I think it's it's really fun and certainly some of those machines had charm. You know I think Spectrum had a lot of charm to it, um, and it was like you know the underdog. It was underpowered and and it made especially like, like British programmers work extra hard to pull the goods out of it. You know, so there's something a little magical about that time.
0: Yeah, and to see the, the Rare Replay collection come out, I'm not sure how you feel about that, but seeing Nightlaw and Jetpack flying around on, on a giant 50-inch screen... I have not seen that. Wow, I didn't even know about that. Yeah, it, they basically Rare, bless them, when they were onto to play the game. Sorry, Rich, we'll come to you in a minute. I feel terribly rude, but they've done a collection of all their games from the last 30 years and they put it on a disc and put it on xbox one because microsoft you know own them and uh, you can play jetpack on xbox One. <laughs> oh, i am so getting that one That's awesome it's, uh, and it's got achievements in it and everything it's got the whole gamut it's got the stuff that you we're all used to now but they've shot it yeah. to a spectrum game like if only you know if they had this kind of stuff when I was 12,
1: it would just I'd blow my mind. But. Oh, they you know, it's funny. Someone was asking me about that on a, a forum uh, the other day. And, you know, my favorite developer back then was, was Ultimate. You know, they they just produced... Each game was just, you know, so much uh, better than the previous one in, in design and in art. Um, and so the, the, that was the company that I looked up to. And at uh, one time, I, you know, I used to work with David Perry back in the UK doing a bunch of, uh, you know, 8-bit games and... Uh, we actually went to visit them once when they when they were rare at their office, or so yes. which is more like a farmhouse yes. out in the country. Um, and so it's it very novel for us. Um, and they they were working on a, an arcade board um, called the Raz board, I think. Yeah. It was like based off the Z80, um, where it it. it it never used any uh, sort of uh, blank data. It drew exactly the pixels it needed to draw and nothing, nothing more. So it was, it was pretty quick at drawing unusual sprites, like a web-shaped sprite or something. So it was fascinating. Me and me and Dave were just kind of like... It, it, it's kind of the equivalent of going to visit Pixar or something. <laughs> That's what it felt like to me back then. So uh, nothing came of it, but I was, I was really happy to have that experience.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. And the, the, speaking of experience, you've got your storied history. And, of course, um, Citizen, you know, Giant, the, the fantastic game. That this is the, the spiritual successor. For First wonder is to. Um, well, you obviously were involved with, with that the creation of that.
1: Citizen yeah. Ninja, so, so, yeah. Yeah. And Scabudo, uh, MDK, yeah. Giant Kabuto, M.D.K. Earthworm Jim, um, Aladdin. Uh, yeah, it keeps <laughs> it keeps <Yeah>. going.
0: <laughs> one, one of the words I wanted to lock into your head for later on in the show is scale, because I want to come back to that. Because that's ah. something that you, both MDK and, and and Giant, did a fantastic job of exploiting. But we'll talk about it later. Okay. Rich, good. sorry, sir. What, what about your what about your background and history? Where did you start making Flashy Lighty video games?
2: Uh, yeah. Um, I went, well, unlike, I had a very different story than Nick's. Uh, I studied computer science at UC Berkeley. And my first job out of college was actually with LucasArts. Um, where the first game I ever worked on was Escape from Monkey Island, and to this day is one of the most fun projects I've ever worked on. Um, and I did a lot more than just programming. I like wrote a little bit of dialogue lines. I, did, I like dabbled in 3D modeling animation just for fun. Um, and I was at LucasArts for like five-ish years or something. And uh, the last thing I made there was uh, I was a multiplayer programmer on uh, Star Wars Republic Commando, which. I recently discovered. Apparently, people have very fond memories of. It. I didn't even. <laughs> I didn't even quite know how popular yeah, it was.
0: I actually discovered a let's play of that that video of that game a week ago. That was launched. That was released a couple of days prior. There is an extraordinary amount of affection towards that game.
2: Yeah, I, I honestly <laughs> didn't even know that it was that, it was that, of that well regarded. So that's that's been kind of a cool discovery for me lately. Yeah. Um and after that I left uh LucasArts to join Planet Moon, which Nick here was a founder of. Um, and I was a lead programmer there for five years five and a half years or something like that. Um, and I I mean honestly went to Planet Moon to, because of games like Giants and Armed and Dangerous and things like that. I, I like the like thinking different and uh, the not being afraid to like be silly about it and things like that. Um which, you know, that had its own ending and that's how Nick and I started, um, Rogue Rocket Games. Um, and, uh, First Wonder is sort of, uh, <laughs> where I finally sort of have been able to work on games that I've been wanting to work on for quite some time. Um, and that's like the super short version of like the last <laughs> 16 years or whatever.
0: Yeah. I know it's a very, it's a big question to ask. Some developers, it's not so big. It's like, this is our first game. And that's fantastic too. I'm sure you get you encounter a lot of that. There's a lot of that packs. Hey, this is our first game. Is any good? I'm like yes. I mean, I actually kind of like that because they're all bright-eyed
2: and bushy-tailed and like they're like I don't care if I make money. Whereas Nick and I are like we have like kids and stuff. We're like this is awesome, but dude, we need to make some money. Yo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like kind of a different thing. Uh, I honestly kind of miss having a <laughs> a, a low cost life.
0: Yes, uh, but
2: uh, it, it happens to the best of us. The older you get,
0: indeed. Um, I uh, went to a talk recently, and someone was expounding the idea that you know it is okay just to make games for the sake of it. There was a pause. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> and uh, it's an interesting take on it. But it was it was basically the more art house games, more games that were, clearly could not have a commercial outlet, but are nonetheless entertaining. There's one, at, yeah. uh, there's one at Eurogamer where there's, two, there's a person who's using two puppets, hand puppets, which fought each other.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, the interesting thing is, I mean, it's really, really different than it was back when, even when I started, like, there were no commercial game engines back then, not really. Um, the barrier to entry to making a game was extremely high. You need a lot of specialized knowledge and the willingness to commit a large number of resources to get even the most basic of games. Now, I mean, you could legitimately sit at home after hours and come up with a game. Like, you could do it, and yeah. you could get it out in the world, and people may or may not find it, but it'd be a game.
0: It's, um, it's, it, it's lovely to hear uh, developers like yourself have been around for decades and not balk at this idea that the barrier of entry to making games has been lowered so, so far. It, it's got to the point where a uh, humble bundle a couple of weeks ago was just on Game Maker. Now, Game Maker, as you know, or may, or may not know, was used to make Hotline Miami. I didn't know this until recently. This is like, <laughs> you know, um, and that's, it, it's just, it must be quite thrilling to see that, to see that happen. Um, it's definitely cool
2: and interesting, and it allows a lot more interesting ideas to bubble up from nowhere. and. Yeah. Hopefully, find the world, but it has a slight dark side in that um, it's it's like anything, right? Like you know, the normal economic realities of supply and demand. It yes. creates yeah. it creates additional problems, right? So, so uh, it's both good and bad, I guess. That's actually, I don't even like to you characterize know, it that way. It's just an evolution,
1: right? It helps bring more audience into games, right? Because they can find something that they like, and yes. uh, and bring a worldwide audience in. And so, something that might be a niche hit. 10 years ago could be like a reasonable major hit now, you know, just because we've found enough of that type of person that likes it, (laughs) enough of an audience.
2: You just have to be aware that, like, there's a lot of stuff coming out, so you can't... There's a dangerous story of people looking at, like, say, Flappy Birds or something, and they're going like, oh, well, I could do that. Well, yeah, but, you know, that was one of 100,000 apps that got released in that two-month period or whatever, so...
0: Which is Just, why I'm here and doing this show to promote things that I believe in. Oh. Well,
2: well thank you in advance, I think.
0: <laughs> so, um, I think we've done with question two. Number three now. Told you it gets a little bit more complex and this one is the hardest one to answer and I get a lot of... Oh, you uh, go first. Uh, <laughs> I'll do it. it, is, <laughs> it, it is I'm not it. afraid. I'm sure you're not afraid, of it. You'll be fine. You can do this. <laughs> I believe in you. As I said a second ago. Um, what are your influences as game creators what are the things that you find yourself whether you like it or not drifting towards in some weird tidal effect what is this thing that you you keep on being drawn to or drawing from do you think Okay, I'll go for
2: it why not so uh, I mean of the two of us I definitely play more games I actually like discovering new stuff Um, uh, unlike some other guys in our studio I don't necessarily just play I don't actually play that many new things I play some um, but I, I tend towards games that are immediately fun, um, and have a cool immediate hook. And it's been more so the older I've gotten due to just time <laughs> constraints. Yeah. So, uh, it's actually very rare for me to get engaged in a long plotting, uh, game, even if it's really good. Like I had a really difficult time getting into like, um, oh my God, I'm blinking What's that RPG? That was all a big deal. Uh, Skyrim, I couldn't get into Skyrim. It was like took too much like time to like figure out what was going on and stuff. Um, however, I did super crack out on the Wasteland too. <laughs> um, so there's always like, I don't know, the theme just like worked for me better. Um, I tend to enjoy games that don't necessarily take themselves too seriously. But, like, with everything... I don't know. I'm a super inconsistent guy, so, like, on the other hand, I got super, super into uh, Last of Us, even though it was really, really serious. Um, but that's just, like, play. When it comes to, like, making, yeah, I just but, get kind of, like, attached to, like, different ideas. I, here at Rogue Rocket, we don't like the notion of, like, cloning things, you're doing what everyone else is doing, for better or for worse. It kind of makes our lives a little harder, but... Um, it's a, it's easier to get engaged in it. So even when we're making like smaller scale games, we're always trying to look for like a hook that makes it different than the next guy. Um, and that that simpler idea is for me kind of maybe the most important part. I need to feel like I'm always learning something. I need to feel like I'm always doing something a little different. And I need it to feel like uh, the longer I spend on it, the more fun it gets. Whatever the definition of fun may be. Um, and then if we can insert silliness and laughter, that's all the
1: better.
0: <laughs> and Nick, similar or other?
1: Um, uh, well, you know you talked about scale earlier. Um, mm-hmm. I, I tend to like to build these very open worlds with lots of possibilities. And so usually, rather than thinking about a game, I'm really more thinking about world and then setting a the game inside it. Um, I just like the... I think you know planet earth is a nice place i like hanging out in it but whenever i close my eyes my imagination wants to take me somewhere else for whatever reason and uh so i i enjoy creating these new worlds and a lot of the worlds i create like the luxurious islands and giant sort of first wonder uh are places that i want to visit so i'm actually sort of making the things i imagine and, and would like to hang out in and uh, i was saying someone was asking me uh the day about the architecture in first wonder and i'm saying well i've only got started on that but i'm, I'm really excited by that because i love to play architect and i get to build and imagine how that world would be um so really i'm kind of like influenced by um anything that creates a, a really immersive world that feels like truly different you know when i was a kid I, like many people i was like uh, blown away by blade runner and alien um even before I saw them, before I could see the movie, I was living in Scotland at the time. We didn't even have a VCR back then. Um, but I saw pictures of it. And as soon as I saw it, it was so evocative. It took me somewhere completely different, Uh, especially like alien. I felt like it was a world I hadn't seen before. Um, and it was all encompassing. And I was so affected by that. And of course, like things like star Wars, um, and I've always just wanted to transport myself into places like that. Um, and um, my, my moods shift, you know, like uh, for MDK, um, I was uh, wanting to get back after doing all the Earthworm gym and 2D platform games. I wanted to explore the 3D world. Um, uh, 3D are just first-person shooters had just taken off, uh, like about the year before, I think. Uh, but I was looking at them all and I'm going, why is everyone running down grey corridors? You know, the, the science and adventure that I remember as kids was full of color and life and, and, uh, and design. And so, like part of the M.D.K. was really sort of focusing on that and, and wanting to show people, hey, it doesn't all have to be, you know, dungeons and and, and pop and pipes. Um, like let your imagination go. Yeah, uh, and so there's uh, a
0: little bit of dark crystal there, I think.
1: Uh, oh yeah, you, I, yeah, I very much like dark, dark crystal and the Henson guys. Um so yeah, yeah just, uh, just always looking for uh, new ways to explore new worlds um, I've, even got, I've got another world ready to go after First Wonder <laughs> I can't wait to get that to, there and it's just, you know, it's just a fun way to pass your time
0: yeah ok well the next question is related to the third one but it is again a little bit more difficult and again hard to answer because you don't want to offend anyone the reason <laughs> being is who do you most admire in the video game industry and why
1: Oh, uh. That is
0: a
2: harder question for me.
0: <laughs> oh, my,
2: my, pretty is Nick Fury. So <laughs> ah, stop it.
1: <laughs> oh. You can edit this silence sound. I right? will, yes. <laughs> um, Rich. You're going first again. Oh, man, you going
0: to throw me under the bus yeah. like that? because um, you normally blurt something out. How's the phrase that? what developer do you most admire in an industry and why? Now, you can just say a company. I mean, I've had developers sit there and go and, and get cogitate and say, oh, no, Nintendo, that's fine. We can work with that. And we just build from that. But, you know, who do you most admire in the industry? Um, for me, it's... Challenging to answer
2: any question like that, um, because I just like a lot of stuff. Even though some people think I'm a hater, I actually like a lot of stuff. Um, Like I have the same problem. Like people go, "What's your favorite movie?" or "Like what's your favorite game?" and I I always have a difficult time with that because there's there's so many different dimensions and stuff, right? Like even for like developers, there's like a bunch of things I like about a lot of different developers. So I I I can't narrow. I simply cannot narrow down to a singular developer or personality. Um, so, even for, like, an individual game, there's so many contributors to those games, it's like... I, I sometimes don't think it's fair to say it's, like, one guy or something like that.
0: Uh, that's why I offer the chance for you to say a company. And yeah,
2: but every company has its dark sides. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's just a fact of life, right? Like, there's no... Like, if you force me to say something, I might say, like, um, like Naughty Dog or something, just because their quality of execution is so high, You're and, like... In recent memory, like the games they've made have been evocative of actually like it's actually achieved like an emotional reaction while still maintaining excellent gameplay. And I'm speaking, of course, about Last of Us. That actually went back and replayed the intro because I was like, it was so powerful. Uh, I have a daughter, so I was like, I almost burst into tears the second time. Like, oh my god, this is so terrible, um, which was I found kind of notable. Um, but you know they're 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 like the vanguards of the of the old ways of making games, and they're they're kind of like the experts at it. I would say, um, but it's it's that's that's sort of what I'm saying. It's like I admire them in that particular dimension. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say like you know they're certainly not going to make the best M, uh, like mobile game, for example. <laughs> they probably don't even care or want to. Um, I'll leave it at that. I could probably expunge on this for another hour, but...
1: Yeah, I told you. <laughs> yeah, I'm still trying to up more an answer. I told you these what? questions
0: get worse. There's a boss at the end of this uh, podcast, by the way. So, um, what about you, Nick?
1: Oh, God. Um, I mean, as I said, for certainly for the earlier years, like, you know, Ultimate was the thing for me. Yeah, um, yeah. And and as Richard mentioned, I don't play anywhere near enough games anymore. Uh, they're just out of time. And uh, so usually Rich is like, hey, make sure you play like 10 minutes of this, you know, <laughs> so I can check something out. So yeah, I've always got a list of stuff from him to play. Um, and I was sort of trying to think about the last experience I just had the most fun with, uh, which was. <laughs> Speedrunners.
0: <laughs> oh my god, hey! yeah,
1: Speedrunners the other day. I'd never played it before. A so, tiny build. You, you like that? Oh, okay. uh, that was actually at PAX, we found that. Oh, right. And we went back, we went back to, to uh, uh, the apartment we were staying at and then we stayed up half the night <laughs> arguing and fighting over that Did game. Did you
0: see Party Hard as well? Did you see that? No. Okay. Yeah, Party Hard was a game where you go into a party uh, there's a loud party happening at your, your, your next door to you so you get up rather than actually tell them to shut up You just end up killing all the guests.
2: (laughs) 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 Somebody's, like, game development, uh, like, dream realisation or something.
0: Yes. Apparently, they're developed by people who normally do casual, light, fluffy games. They said they went to a game jam, and that was the output. And they said, we should make this into a game. At no point did someone say, maybe you shouldn't. But they did, and it's out, and it's amazing. So, party hard. (laughs) I'm just <laughs> like looking at it, right now. <laughs> it's just wrong, but I love it. Anyway, it is the it was <laughs> the most it won the most disturbing game of packs for me, because um, <laughs> it was disturbing. I wasn't expecting it. I thought it was like a party simulation or something. No, no, it's death. It's all about death. Anyway, moving on to... I'm always...
1: Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I mean, always, you know, the thing that's probably closest to me are, are, the, are friends I know who have been in the business for a long time and, and seeing them evolve. Um, uh, like uh, Bob Stevenson and Neil, uh, who was... Bob was one of my former founders at uh, Planet Moon, and then he went on to form NG Moko with Neil Young. And, you know, seeing him go through those different steps is interesting. Seeing Tim Schafer, you know, reestablish himself as an independent. Um, Brian Fargo, uh, you know pe- people I know, you know, so I know their stories uh, closer. And seeing them go through this cycle, you know, where Brian had Interplay and then that had to, you know, he had to leave Interplay and eventually came back as a developer, uh, how yeah. he started yeah. again, and now having great success. So those are people I admire. You know, they've got longevity. They're in it for the right reasons. Yeah. Um, they are in it for the games uh, Especially Brian Because Brian published A lot of uh, the earlier games Like uh, Giants and MDK mm. You know So he was the kind of guy Who would take chances On titles like that So uh, yeah Got a lot of respect for him
0: Yeah there were some They were the most interesting I mean, We had an Interplay stamp on it Nine times out of ten It was going to be insane No offence <laughs> But it was just like Oh what is this I don't know Like Sacrifices especially when, like, That was crazy Love that yeah, yeah. Sword, like,
1: that was made by uh, he one of the programmers of MDK. We, had, we only had two programmers, Andy Astor and Martin Brownlow. And uh, when I left Shiny to start Planet Moon and, and Giants, uh, Martin stayed at uh, Shiny because he wanted to make Sacrifice. Yeah. And uh, teamed up with uh, Joe Biotero, I think. And, um, yeah, I just, like... Uh, I did an AMA the other day and people were asking me if I was involved in that and I was like no no that's Martin and they're like hey you should make that again I'm like you need to go Pester Martin <laughs> <laughs> North Carolina in the woods somewhere that guy needs to uh, needs to do a sequel to Sacrifice there's a lot of fan love for that
0: oh uh, yes it's a glorious game so last question it's my favourite question you kind of answered it in bits and pieces as we've been talking but uh, it gives you an indication of maybe what you're working on next and that sort of thing normally it doesn't actually but I like to think it does. The question is it's a common question in most podcasts about video games what are you playing right now? So I'll start with Rich, because <laughs> he's playing more stuff than Nick currently. <laughs> playing right, now? right now.
2: Right now I'm playing this uh, crazy, difficult game called Managing a Kickstarter Campaign. <laughs> it's brutal and uh, <laughs> requires a lot of effort. Um, no, uh, more seriously, uh, uh, I, I was. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, the last couple months have been really difficult to find time for games, but I, I did spend. Most recent
0: n- stuff, that's fine. Obviously, not Sky. Uh,
2: no. <laughs> uh, I, did, <laughs> I did find a bit of time to check out the uh, Rainbow Six Siege beta a little bit. Yeah. Um, trying to get through slowly Far Cry 4. I'm like really behind, basically. Okay. Um, doesn't matter. And uh, I started playing Invisible Ink, which is pretty cool, but. Uh, Pretty hard. Um, let's see. What else have I been playing? I don't even know. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff I I want to play, but I'm too afraid to start until I have a little more free time. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm super excited about Fallout Four.
0: Yeah, I think. Yeah, uh, did you finish three? Forgive me for asking. I did
2: finish three, and that's one of the few games I always was like, man, I gotta go back and play as like Evil or something. And of yeah. course, I never did because of the whole time issue. But yeah, I spent a lot of hours on that game. Me uh, Not so much on uh, Vegas for some reason. Fallout, Fallout 3 Vegas. What was it called? Something Vegas? Yeah,
0: yeah. New
2: Vegas. Um, yeah, New Vegas. I don't, I don't know what it was about it, but I kind of like got to a point and then I lost interest. Um, I may have run into a bug where a uh, quest was not finishable or
1: something um, yeah uh, one of the games I enjoyed most recently I guess it's probably a little further back now yeah, a was uh, Guacamelee oh yes uh, and and it just uh, because of like and Jim we had like very fast controls very responsive you know very direct and uh, and it had that same sort of feel to me and uh, it just had a blast and it was so imaginative and I love the art style Um I admire those guys. Who, who made that?
2: Uh, I forget what the name of the team is, but they're like a they're like an indie group. Yeah. But, like, that was one of those things that I suggested to Nick. Uh, it was, like, free on Xbox Live or something. I'm like, I basically download everything that's free on Xbox Live just to check it out. And the, that was one where I was like, it actually took me a few weeks to try because initially I was kind of turned off by the... Mexican wrestler. Oh, you were? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Like, I couldn't, I, I had trouble with it at first. But, like, the screenshot doesn't do it justice. Once you get in there, it's, like, yeah. absolutely outrageously beautiful. And I started play playing it.
0: and it's really, really fast.
2: Yeah, and I, mean, I got immediately hooked. I said, Nick, you must play this immediately. You can play it with your kids. I don't care. Go play this. It was right
1: on the street. Yeah, and we did actually play it with my uh, five-year-old son, who I thought would be, this would be way too much. And uh, and we actually co opted all the way through it. He made it. It's awesome.
2: Yeah, I got. I and he that,
1: developed as a player. Getting I, through that I game. totally
2: cracked down on that one. I basically blasted through it, and I was like, "Oh, it's over!
1: Damn it!" I hope his mother is not listening. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh I, I don't. We shall see. We shall see. Now, excellent answers, for you both. Um, yeah, Guacamole is, is a terrific, terrific game. A Good choice.
1: I can't wait to see what they follow up. Yeah, I know. seriously so good.
0: It's enough about you two. Let's talk about First Wonder when we go into the second half of the show where we do just that. So, first question is what I call the Zero Question, and regular listeners will know I now make reference to Asimov, I say that, Zero zeroth Law, never mind. Um, tell us, what is First Wonder?
1: <laughs> you know, even back in the days of giants, when marketing people would say, explain to me what the game is, as they're getting ready to launch campaign, and I couldn't do it. Because <laughs> so I didn't have a point of reference uh, to, to for them to hook it on. Uh. Um but uh, I think now, like times have changed a bit. So, First Wonder is like a single-player, multiplayer, a uh, big adventurous romp of a game. Um, in the multiplayer, we really try to bring uh, a sense of high adventure to it. Um, a lot of sort of the, the campaign elements that you will find in the single-player game will be in the multiplayer. Um, uh, I'm not. I'm not so awesome at head-to-head games, and especially first person shooters, and I also like to explore it a little bit. So I like the idea of the multiplayer having a, having more adventure to it, uh, more goals, uh, more things to discover, as well as uh, all out action. And I like the idea of it having an arc from start to end. So that's one of the, the goals for the game. So in the game, sorry, I kind of, Explaining <laughs> <laughs> some stuff for this the actual meat of the, the game. This is the most amazing picture. You have um, <laughs> you have Monstro, a, a giant, and you have these Cargonauts, who are these sort of space riggers. They're not soldiers. Uh, there's these riggers who who find Monstro out in deep space, and they think they've hit jackpot. And they're like, "Great, he's this, this, he's this old fossil," um, and they sell him to the highest bidder. Uh, And he gets gets delivered to planet Majorca as a sort of figurehead to this holiday resort. And, of course, after they deliver him and they're celebrating, things go terribly wrong and Monstro is awoken. And he goes on a rampage and he's terrorizing and destroying things. And the Cargonaughts are blamed for this and they have to go and tackle him and sort of put him back in the box. Uh, but they, as I say, they're not soldiers. They have, they don't have like all this heavy weaponry and they're not really hunters. They, they have all their lifting gear and their rigging gear and, and tow cables and rocket packs. And they have to use that stuff as well as the environment to try and work out ways and how to like limit this monster down before they can get into sort of direct combat with him. But what they don't know is the monster is not just a dumb beast, uh, although he awakens that way. But as time goes on, he's, he's a prophecy. And to complete that prophecy, he has to uh, go to various islands and perform certain rituals. And uh, and they have to stop him from achieving those rituals. And there's sort of a, a long, crazy adventure along the way. And in the single-player game, um, kind of like Giants, if you remember that, you get to play both uh, of the characters along the way. So it's a, a convoluted plot, uh, which is what I like. may may not always make the most sense, but it will make for interesting situations.
0: Yeah, so the uh, Cargonauts is a fantastic name.
1: Um,
0: I love the mash-up of the two words. Um, They are basically inept. Not inept. They're very good at their job. Good-natured. Good-natured. A little bit too good at their job, isn't They. Oh, look, we've got this thing. What is it? Looks all right. It's probably worth, worth a few bob. Brilliant. We'll just take it and sell it. Uh, exactly, sort of thing, you know. When, like,
1: um, yeah, don't look too close.
0: Yeah, <laughs> keep, keep keeping along. You know, <laughs> not the most intelligent of folk, but you know they get the job done. Unfortunately, yeah, they did that's... it a little bit too well.
1: So that's cool. Yeah, so initially they are very heavily outmatched, and if you try to go head to head with monster at the beginning, you're 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 getting trouble real fast, and that's where we like push you to explore. Like, oh, how else can I? can I deal with this monster? You know, how do I defend the villagers and, and use my equipment? So, you know, early on in the game, we, and especially in the, the sort of kickstart of video, we show a demo of like how Monstro is using the environment to travel from different islands. You know, in this example, he shoots himself through a volcano and flies across the sky, across the ocean to another Island. And the cargo have to figure out a way to stop him from being able to do things like that. And so if they can find anything in the landscape, uh, or on the water, it could be a ship, it could be a building uh, that's large enough, and they've got enough power to lift it. Then they can lift that up and like drop it straight in the volcano and block it. So it's a sort of very visual, it's very you know cinematic uh, and playable, um, but there are these sort of big sort of strategic tactical pieces that you can do to like shift uh, the the landscape on Monstro to your advantage.
0: So my first. Proper question. Then I'll give you, you know, your chance to pitch. So it's like one, one through one boss, and we drop down on, on to the next one. The sense of scale. There you go. That's what I want to talk about is yeah. the key to first wonder. Now yeah. with modern technology, how have you exploited this aspect in in, in the game? You know, I'm, I'm thinking things have advanced significantly over the last 15 years to the point where if you took a smartphone went back in time five years, you'd be burnt as a witch. So, and I would. um, So how
1: how do you think that has helped
0: the, or indeed hindered the development of First Wonder?
1: Well, it's an ongoing process, um, but initially, obviously, just a sheer horsepower to be able to render distance, you know, and get that sense of scaling. And then, you know, using something like um, the Unreal Engine that we're using that comes with all these sort of building factors for atmosphere and fog and so many different variables, it, it makes your head spin. Um, that helps create a space, you know, a sense of thickness in the air um, that we also then support with, uh, you know, lots of air particles and whatnot. You need to, you, because of that s- sense of space, it's very easy to get lost if you're a little carbonaut flying across a vast distance. So we have to have constant reminders around you to to help ground your You, you spatially in the, in the world. Um, so, uh, it's tricky and especially because, uh, with Monstro, and he does go through various size changes, um, but we also wanted to make him very dynamic as a character. He's not slow and lumbering. He's not Godzilla, you know, um, where it's very easy to set up that scale because everything's in slow motion and he's so vast. Um, but Monstro, he, you know, he romps around the landscape like Mario. You know, and we we purposely built the landscape to fit Monstro. We didn't want him to feel like a giant in a claustrophobic area, like he's walking through a city and his shoulders are up against the buildings. That's not the effect we want. We want him to be a, a fast, fully formed, uh, dimensional character um, where he's leaping you know, from tops of mountains down into canyons, swimming across oceans, um, and then we, we give the Cargonauts the technology in order to keep up with him. So we wanted to make sure that Especially from giants, you know, we're evolving the gameplay from giants. Uh, uh, we wanted to just to have a lot more depth uh, to the giant, and not just be a simple beast smashing around. So he's got a lot more mechanics. He's a far deeper character than than even appears in the uh, the Kickstarter video so far.
0: What about you, Rich? How technically challenging has you found it to actually achieve
1: what you've so far
0: developed?
2: Well, uh, I mean, it all depends on your on your on your perspective. Like I was saying earlier in the interview, like compared to the old days. It's been really fast. I mean, I have a fully functional multiplayer demo that we've let people play, including Twitch streamers off-site now, and we have it in a matter of three months with a very small team. That was, like, simply not possible, yes. even, like, I don't know, the, it, it six is years funny, ago or something. Like, you
1: know, one, of the, one of the the difficult things when you with doing uh, something like a Kickstarter is we're showing the game before it's even, you know... Uh, pre-production, it's earlier than that. Yeah. When, and in the days of like Giants and DK, you wouldn't have never have seen this level of work at this time. You know, <laughs> um, so comparatively, we're so far advanced uh, with First Wonder in the short time we've been compared to the other projects um, that people often mistake it for like a finished piece of work. Yeah, you know, it's Which not. It's, it's <laughs> <weird>. <laughs> people are going. That tree doesn't look like you know, belongs in the world of Giants or something like that. Like you know settle down everyone It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's everything's going to be rebuilt uh once we have a production budget a but but i don't know, that. Well, I don't
0: know. Just put it in there you know it's the uh, yeah that's yeah uh, i just wanted to touch so, on that
2: so from, master, from that perspective it's actually been uh definitely the case that modern tools and the speed of machines has really made it a lot easier to get off the ground quicker um I, like I couldn't even imagine getting what we have done in three months. Like like I was saying, even like six six years ago or something like that. Yeah. Um, it, it does. It did help though that uh, uh, I in particular had some prior experience building stuff on, on Unreal Engine before. So Republic Commando was, of course, Unreal 2.5, I think. Um, and then at Planet Moon, we had an experimental game called My Amazing Story that was being built on Unreal Engine 3. So while Unreal Engine 4 is theoretically a like complete overhaul, it still has like a lot of the same ideas and stuff. Um, I wrote a little quick article about why we chose Unreal on our Kickstarter update. So if people are interested, they are welcome to go read that. But it comes down to just sort of like right tool, right job kind of thing. Like I yeah. kind of knew we'd get networking out of the box. That was kind of important to us at the time. Um, and, and knowing how they think about networking really helped me get that working quickly.
1: Um, yeah, so I mean, on on things like MDK and Giants and Under Dangerous, we made unique <laughs> engines each time, and that obviously takes up about two thirds of your budget and most of your production time, and you end up sort of scrambling to put the game together in the last few months. So, uh, so this is a much preferable way of doing things.
0: Yes, it's much more professional, by the sense of things. Yeah, yeah. And uh, rebuild. It's like it's like uh, when you buy a new car. Or like, oh, this is just
1: build a brand new one. What? Yes, this is what <laughs> <will be> <laughs> <this, this>, <laughs> <laughs> What are you doing? Back then, that's what we had to do. You know, when you talk about scale and, and MDK and giants, you know, I, did, I didn't have an engine that could do that, so we had to write our own. Uh, but now, I do, thankfully, don't have to yeah. do that because the power's there. Yeah.
2: The cost is, of course, that you now must conform to the ways of thinking that the people who made the tools have uh, set for you. You can kind of fight against it but it definitely creates a more challenging problem. But there's all this stuff that is applicable to all games that is just ready. Like, I no longer have to write code to make Triangle appear on screen. Um, I don't have to figure out how to, like, move an object in the world and then save that thing and then load it later. Like, those are just sort of solved for you.
1: But then you have, like, counter things where I like to have a certain sense of style to the game. Um, So, you know, with... MDK and Giants, everything was very hand-painted, especially the skies. We you know, really focused on having the skies to create this bigger open-feeling world, and so a lot of the atmosphere was painted in, you know, and matched to blend the horizon. Um, but uh, with Unreal, if you're using like, some of the default settings out of the box and I like, paint the sky, instantly all the atmospheric fog comes in and and, and hides all that. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, oh, where would my sky go? <laughs> uh, so, so there are some things we have to work on, you know, uh, artistically, you know, and graphically with shaders to, to find the happy the space in between. And that's, you know, that's a, a challenge and that's something that we're working on right now.
0: So now I'm going to ask you about Monstro and his interaction with the Cargonauts. Um, I'm trying to understand this and I might misunderstood it, but let's ask the question and see what comes out. The rituals that Monstro needs to carry out um, need to be prevented, apparently, as you explained earlier. So, I'm alright in thinking that the player has a certain number of chances that allow Monstro to do his, well, if they fail to, to stop him from doing his, um, his rituals, is there a failing, is there a fail condition? Does it get to the point of no return? How is it, how does that work? I mean, I'm just trying to figure out the, the structure of the game and how that right. works.
1: Well, obviously, it's very different between the, the single player and the multiplayer. In the single player, with sort of telling a story and teaching you how to use the mechanics and whatnot. So that's got a very, obviously, a linear pathway through it. Um, in the multiplayer, uh, obviously, it's more there's more freedom. And so, you know, um, if you can remember Giants, you'd have, like, a single island. Um, in uh, First Wanda, you have, like, three, four, five different islands, depending on the, the, the session that you, you're playing and the rituals are spread around those, and so you don't necessarily need to go in a linear order. And the different abilities that Monstro gets, uh, you know, obviously affects him in different ways depending on the order that he gets them in. Um, but the if um, they can find out where he's going to go next, and there's these clues all around the island about where, where the r- rituals are and what they are. And if you find those before Monstro, then you can get there ahead of time and sort of lay traps for him. Um, and there's also there's other resources on the island that uh, the Cargonauts can go exploring and looking for uh we have a rather bad name for it called x fire it's like a mysterious fluid that's found in in deep uh, underground caves um, like a natural resource um, and there's a sort of uh, there's a story to it a little mystery that i can't explain at this point but when they use it 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 amps up all their equipment To to crazy levels. It's like putting you know uh, nitroglycerin in the tank. It's kind of kind of wild and reckless and and a little dangerous, but can allow them to achieve great things. Um, And Monstro also likes this stuff too. For him, it's like an elixir. And so, but he can't reach it. Only the Cargonauts can reach it. So if they start using it, then monster becomes very aware that they're using it and he wants to get after him and if he, he can get hold of one of them that's fully loaded with x fire and he consumes that that then gives him powers too so there's lots of fluctuations in the in how the power level goes and your abilities uh, throughout a session and that's that's very deliberate i, I kind of want an experience that that takes you kind of on a bit of a journey um but at no time would you have like a point where you feel underpowered or you can't achieve something. There's always something to achieve at some level. Um, but the game is designed for these sort of uh, power fluctuations between the players to go back and forward. So at uh, one moment you'll you'll be full of strength and chasing one down, and then maybe he'll swing that advantage round and he's coming after you. Um, and that that rhythm will, will will occur all the way through a play session, regardless of the rituals
0: excellent i just wanted to understand the relationship with that you know the the, the objectives that monster has versus
1: no I, i'm really glad you asked because you know when you say explain first wonder in my head these are all the things i'm thinking about yeah. <laughs> it's really hard for me to get that down into a sound bite. so yeah. uh, but you know so i know it's probably going to take a while for this for people to grasp everything that we're doing in the game um, and I want them to be able to discover those things you know, organically um, so, uh, yeah I consider this a very, in terms of a project you know, it's like a, almost like a slow burn <laughs> for me sort of very committed to the whole concept behind it um, and, uh, and sort of gradually updating it over time So,
0: last question I know, it's sad, good things so let's come to an end I want to ask about the modular equipment that the Ecogonauts have um it enables flight, for the most part. Um, yeah. But, um, it does have... Because there's different types. There's so many different types. I've only seen two, personally, but there might be more. Um, it does add a layer of strategy to First Wonder. How are you going to communicate to the player that they have an optimum or reasonable configuration of, of, of stuff, other than trial and error? Are you going to do anything, or is this going to let... Uh,
1: us- the, the single player will point out you know, things to try specific things to try but I, I did actually want the player to have fun with the trial and error I don't want the trial and error to be boring no. so, you know, when you, when you strap on you know, uh, instead of four small rocket packs you, you strap on four booster rockets that could, you know, fly a space shuttle um, and you slam into a cliff we want that to be a fun experience <laughs> You've learned in the best way possible yeah. you know, yeah. don't you. Um, and so I, yeah, I'd really, as I say, I like um, having a sense of exploration, I like the idea that you can go into a game, you don't necessarily have to attack the next major goal you can go, you know what, I just I'm going to play around with these jetpacks and I know I can lift stuff, what can I do, what what things can I experiment with, and I, I love spending time in uh, a game, being immersed that way, and I really want people to, uh, who spend the time exploring the world to be rewarded for that, so the islands are built uh with, you know, a sort of Depth of layers of mechanics to them, uh, and the more time you spend in them, the, the more you understand how, like, where the shortcuts are, how to get around the island, um, what things you can use, what things the cargo can use. Uh, so there'll be a lot of just, you know, um, sort of playtime. Uh, in, in those worlds, and then when you decide oh, I'm ready for the next big goal then, then you can go and tackle it, and you might be much better off uh, by having to spend time in the world, but you don't have to, you know, it's just a choice for the player, it's just, how, it's just my personal preference for how I like a game to be
0: Yeah, I just wanted to pluck that out of you again just to, to, to expand on it, because I don't think you really mentioned it up until now, the fact that the, the Cognorts have these the extraordinary amount of kits and equipment available to them, I Yeah. a you know, so, you have this dropship with them,
1: and you can they can.
0: Well, it's not a dropship. Sorry, it's not. It's a. Oh, it's a juggernaut.
1: They, well, they actually they can carry it themselves. Yeah. With their rocket. So that's like the idea. You know, because there'll be times when you know the uh, that will be vulnerable to Monstro, and so you might want to move it somewhere out of his reach. You know, um, and there will be different ones, and they kind of they come with different equipment. Kind of reminds me of the Thunderbird, it's like Thunderbird two, in a way. You know, it's very really good. Multiple different things. And I kind of think of the Cargonauts a little bit like Thunderbirds. Only... Roguish Thunderbirds. <laughs>
0: Roguish, yeah, because not as, as, as you know, just straight-faced and uh, square-jawed and heroes, uh, or like, you
1: know... But, yeah, but on, on the equipment side, they're kind of like how they go about things, you know. Yeah. They do have some guns, they do have some, like, straightforward weapons, and they can, they can drop their, like, booster rockets off, like... Uh, like fuel bombs, you know, or they can go and they can plant them around the place because everything's interchangeable between the characters as well. So, you know, you might be you might be going on in this particular mission on a long journey. And you might need your wingmen to like just carry fuel for you to get there. You know, when you get there, you have different rockets so you're more manoeuvrable in that place. Um, and so, uh, I mean, the other day we were playing a, a session. And we just discovered that we could actually do sort of mid-air to air refueling with the cargo You know, so one just dropped a rocket from above and it just attached to the one below. We didn't know it, could, it would do that because we just hadn't thought about it. But it turns out, of course, that just works. And <laughs> I love that. I love that kind of uh, you know uh, evolving gameplay. Um, I mean, it's when people sort of play Giants and they and they they come up with all these different ways of like, oh yeah, you know, I run forward and I take a jump, but I throw some grenades down, it gives me an extra boost and I can get across that island. And they tell me this as if I designed it to be that way. And I, of course, take all the credit for it. Um, but no, the, I create a world of all these opportunities in there. There's very clear goals for you to do and go win, but there's uh, there's enough variation in there that you can sort of have a lot of fun trying out different ways.
0: Well, fantastic response to that question. And uh, Nick and Rich has been great having me on the show. Uh, full transparency, I have backed <laughs> um, first wonder. Um, oh, yeah, um, I did it as soon as I got back from, Well, as soon as it started actually, because um, I, I was so impressed with it. A pack, I did write about it, as you know, and uh, people should, should know about it, and I, that's why I stood by. So, what format you plan to put it on is PC, um, Windows PC initially, is that right?
2: Yeah, so that's our baseline is Windows PC on Steam, uh, and we just today got greenlit on Steam. Woohoo! Um, We are investigating Linux because uh, a surprising number of people messaged us through Kickstarter and kept asking, is there going to be a Linux build? And I went, oh, people care? Okay, we'll go look into it.
0: Yeah, I think Uh, the Steam boxes are to blame for that.
2: Maybe so. I'm not sure. Linux is a strange, strange place. Um, uh, But, I mean, we've been saying out loud that uh, uh, what's important to our supporters is what's important to us, so... There's been enough requests that I wanted to at least investigate it, so hopefully we'll have um, news about that soon. And uh, we want to do modern console too, and we may have an announcement about that very soon. We shall see.
0: Well, the modern consoles happily now have a architecture similar to PCs, which I understand is much easier for you guys. Is that right? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, compared to the old days, yeah.
2: Sony uh, so so stopped doing crazy things <laughs> I used to like that they did crazy things honestly it was entertaining but it did make for a challenging technical environment it,
0: I'm sure it did okay well um, like I said thank you very much for coming on the show um, you're more than welcome to come back and talk about uh, an the game's released or maybe when you're working on something else uh, the new, to- new project it would be fantastic to have you on and like I said it's been, it's been great thank you very much to you both Thank you. Oh, thanks very much.
1: It's been fun to actually uh, talk about uh, design in depth. Uh, I don't get to do that very often. It's usually just swelling around in my head, so it was nice to get that out.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and also to someone other than your team, I'm sure. Be right, yeah. Like, like, hang on, this sounds like a, it's like a project meeting. It's not. It's
1: not a project meeting. Seriously, <laughs> it's... Yeah. Some of the team might, might find out some things about the game by listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're doing That's that how, now. Sometimes how it works. I believe they call
0: it doing a Molyneux. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That was, rough. that was low. That was low. All right, thanks very so much, gentlemen. <laughs> Thank um, you. One final thing before I go. Um, the show doesn't have any music of its own. The music is drawn from the game. Do you have any compositions that you can send my way, music-wise? If not, I'll draw something from... from uh Know, no, like.
1: we don't have any original music for it yet. Um, we've, we've just been using some of the Giants music because Jeremy Soul has been kind enough to let us do that. Okay. Um, and uh, and sort of thematically, you know, we still build this very sort of open world, um, big skies, uh, you know, with Giants and some of the I had a little bit of a sort of Magnificent Seven feeling about them, you know, a little western. I'm um, uh, very much a fan of John Barry. Okay. Um obviously from the classic James Bond but also some many westerns he did and so I liked his expansive sound um, which is what we went for so it'll be something along those lines for First Wonder but it's a bit early days for us to kind of I'll, I'll
0: I'll pull something from Creative Commons um, that, that'll work alright gentlemen I've kept you for far too long as it is but thank you very much for your time and your efforts it's been a fantastic show and uh, I do wish you the very very best of luck in, in the Kickstarter uh, it's a tough world out there, very tough. And um, yeah, I, I actually stopped doing board games on Kickstarter because of the. I actually end up paying for it twice because of the customs. Great. do oh. <laughs> Thank oh. you. So, uh, but yeah, do you know the 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 exploding kittens? Are you familiar with that Kickstarter? No,
1: no. Oh, but that that's the one that I remember. Did it just get crazy amount of money? Something
0: three and a half million dollars for a card yeah. and crap. what were they
1: asking for they asked him something faulty but they just got yeah, 40, a massive 40, response
0: 40,000 but, <laughs> but because it was the oatmeal and I'm not sure you're familiar with that
2: oh that's the oatmeal one yeah okay. so I did see that
0: yeah yeah, three and a half million dollars so yeah that's an extreme scale uh, and uh, you know that's just crazy because it's the oatmeal and he was very funny and it is a very funny game and i played it I have it I was one of them. I'm sorry. Uh, but like I said, I'm, one of, I'm, I'm, I'm back to your game. And I'm doing my best to promote it as best as I can uh, because I believe in it. And that's why i am on the show. So um, I'm nice. going to leave you two and I'm going to go back and I'm going to have some evening meal because, Nick, you know it's very late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, are you ever coming back home for a bit?
1: If you do... Uh, yeah. it's, been a, it's been a while. My mother actually uh, lives in Scotland. There, so, uh, <laughs> I do need to get back at some point.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's Res next year. Just saying.
1: There's what next year?
0: Res, you know what Res. Is
1: REST, No. Yeah,
0: Res is the indie video game uh, uh, expo that that uh, that's held every March in Ah, the UK. OK. and uh, it's really, really chilled out. Really good show. It's not yeah. like packed. It's much more, much more toned down, um, and uh, they have some. Larger games there, but 99% of the games there are all indie. And, oh, I okay. uh, highly recommend it. And it's in the East End of London, um, where they hold it, and, and, and uh, it's really good. It's really, really good. So, um, yeah, if you, if, you, if you want to, by all means, go, let, let Eurogamer know, and they'll see what they can do. Yeah. So, right. I've got to go, and you've got to go. Right. So, right, to thanks, again. mate. Cheers, mate. Bye. Thank you. and uh, if you want to email me, the feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer, listen to the show, and want your game featured on it, please do email me at Chris at spong.com. Bye!